episode 55. Dill was sound asleep, his head on Jem's shoulder, and Jem was quiet. Ain't it a long time, I asked him. Sure is, Scout, he said happily. Well, from the way you put it, it'd just take five minutes. Jem raised his eyebrows. There are things you don't understand, he said, and I was too weary to argue. But I must have been reasonably awake, or I would not have received the impression that was creeping into me. It was not unlike one I had last winter, and I shivered, though the night was hot. The feeling grew until the atmosphere in the courtroom was exactly the same as a cold February morning when the mockingbirds were still and the carpenters had stopped hammering on Miss Maudie's new house and every wood door in the neighborhood was shut as tight as the doors of the Radley place. A deserted, waiting, empty street and the courtroom was packed with people. A steaming summer night was no different from a winter morning. Mr. Heck Tate, who had entered the courtroom and was talking to Atticus, might have been wearing his high boots and lumber jacket. Atticus had stopped his tranquil journey and had put his foot onto the bottom rung of a chair. As he listened to what Mr. Tate was saying, he ran his hand slowly up and down his thigh. I expected Mr. Tate to say any minute, Take it, Mr. Finch. But Mr. Tate said, This court will come to order, in a voice that rang with authority, and the heads below us jerked up. Mr. Tate left the room and returned with Tom Robinson. He steered Tom to his place beside Atticus and stood there. Judge Taylor had roused himself to sudden alertness and was sitting up straight, looking at the empty jury box. What happened after that had a dreamlike quality. In a dream, I saw the jury return, moving like underwater swimmers, and Judge Taylor's voice came from far away and was tiny. I saw something only a lawyer's child could be expected to see could be expected to watch for. And it was like watching Atticus walk into the street, raise a rifle to his shoulder and pull the trigger, but watching all the time, knowing that the gun was empty. A jury never looks at a defendant it has convicted. And when this jury came in, not one of them looked at Tom Robinson. The foreman handed a piece of paper to Mr. Tate, who handed it to the clerk, who handed it to the judge. I shut my eyes. Judge Taylor was polling the jury. Guilty, 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 guilty. I peeked at Jim. His hands were white from gripping the balcony rail, and his shoulders jerked as if each guilty was a separate stab between them. Judge Taylor was saying something. His gavel was in his fist, but he wasn't using it. Dimly, I saw Atticus pushing papers from the table into his briefcase. He snapped it shut, went to the court reporter and said something, nodded to Mr. Gilmer, and then went to Tom Robinson and whispered something to him. 
Atticus put his hand on Tom's shoulder as he whispered. Atticus took his coat off the back of his chair and pulled it over his shoulder. Then he left the courtroom, but not by his usual exit. He must have wanted to go home the short way because he walked quickly down the middle aisle toward the south exit. I followed the top of his head as he made his way to the door. He did not look up. Someone was punching me, but I was reluctant to take my eyes from the people below us and from the image of Atticus's lonely walk down the aisle. Miss Jean Louise. I looked around. They were standing. All around us and in the balcony on the opposite wall, the Negroes were getting to their feet. Reverend Sykes' voice was as distant as Judge Taylor's. Miss Jean Louise, stand up. Your father's passing. Chapter 22 It was Jem's turn to cry. His face was streaked with angry tears as we made our way through the cheerful crowd. It ain't right, he muttered, all the way to the corner of the square where we found Atticus waiting. Atticus was standing under the streetlight looking as though nothing had happened. His vest was buttoned, his collar and tie were neatly in place, his watch chain glistened. He was his impassive self again. It ain't right, Atticus, said Jem. No, son, it's not right. We walked home. Aunt Alexandra was waiting up. She was in her dressing gown, and I could have sworn she had on her corset underneath it. I'm sorry, brother, she murmured. Having never heard her call Atticus brother before, I stole a glance at Jem, but he was not listening. He would look up at Atticus, then down at the floor, and I wondered if he thought Atticus somehow responsible for Tom Robinson's conviction. Is he all right? Auntie asked, indicating Jem. He'll be so presently, said Atticus. It was a little too strong for him. Our father sighed. I'm going to bed, he said. If I don't wake up in the morning, don't call me. I don't think it wise in the first place to let them. This is their home, sister, said Atticus. We've made it this way for them. They might as well learn to cope with it. But they didn't have to go to the courthouse and wallow in it. It's just as much Maycomb County as missionary teas. Atticus, Aunt Alexandra's eyes were anxious. You are the last person I thought would turn bitter over this. I'm not bitter, just tired. I'm going to bed. Atticus, said Jem bleakly. He turned in the doorway. What, son? How could they do it? How could they? I don't know, but they did it. They've done it before, and they did it tonight, and they'll do it again. And when they do it, seems that only children weep. Good night. But things are always better in the morning. Atticus rose at his usual ungodly hour and was in the living room behind the mobile register when we stumbled in. Jem's morning face posed the question his sleepy lips struggled to ask. It's not time to worry yet, Atticus reassured him as we went to the dining room. 
We're not through yet. There'll be an appeal. You can count on that. Gracious alive, Cal, what's all this? He said, staring at his breakfast plate. Calpurnia said, Tom Robinson's daddy sent you along this chicken this morning. I fixed it. Well, you tell him I'm proud to get it. Bet they don't have chicken for breakfast at the White House. What are these? Rolls, said Calpurnia. Estelle down at the hotel sent him. Atticus looked at her, puzzled, and she said, You better step out here and see what's in the kitchen, Mr. Finch. We followed him. The kitchen table was loaded with enough food to bury the family. Hunks of salt pork, tomatoes, beans, even scuppernogs. Atticus grinned when he found a jar of pickled pig's knuckles. Reckon Auntie will let me eat these in the dining room? Calpurnia said, This was all round the back steps when I got here this morning. They they appreciate what you did, Mr. Finch. They, they aren't overstepping themselves, are they? Atticus's eyes filled with tears. He did not speak for a moment. Tell them I'm very grateful, he said. And tell them, tell them they must never do this again. Times are too hard. He left the kitchen, went in the dining room and excused himself to Aunt Alexandra, put on his hat and went to town. We heard Dill's step in the hall, so Calpurnia left Atticus's uneaten breakfast on the table. Between rabbit bites, Dill told us of Miss Rachel's reaction to last night, which was, if a man like Atticus Finch wants to butt his head against a stone wall, it's his head. <laughs>